Let's rewind. Here we go. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as sheep, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right, at his right hand, and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, for whom the foundation from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you in and naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, you know this is going to go bad. Then he says to those on the left, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing sick in prison, and all you did was video me. Uh, You did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in person and did not take care of you? And then he will answer, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do to one of these, the least of these, you did not do to me. Strong words from a loving Savior. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll get into this. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day uh, that we can spend together for a few moments and um, speak through me as I talk about this text for a few minutes and, uh, and encourage us uh, to be your people in this world in the coming days and the weeks ahead. In your name we pray, and everyone said, amen. Okay, so an honest reader of the gospel accounts, the stories of Jesus's life, will at some point ask, so why was it that Jesus was killed? Why was it that Jesus was crucified? Uh, Because the default Sunday school answer of, well, he said he was God's son, will not do. Because Rome, just so you know, could have cared less about such claims. That's not why Jesus was crucified. It has nothing to do with it at all. It wasn't, and, and for Rome, that, things like that just weren't all that interesting to them. We have to read more carefully and somewhat beneath the surface of the stories of Jesus to figure this out. And there are three primary catalysts that pushed Jesus to his eventual execution. And they do have to do with the things that he said, but also some of the things that he did. The first of these three is just simply the language of rebellion. Jesus talked more than anything about the kingdom more than anything uh, that we have in the Gospels. Um, I used to hear pastors say, Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. And I'm like flipping through going, I don't see anything 
remotely true about that. What I see is that Jesus kept talking about a coming kingdom of God. And this kingdom had certain attributes, mostly that it was all-inclusive. And this was frustrating to a society at the time that we don't really understand. We think we understand it when we read it, but we don't. It's a very barbaric society, a very class-oriented society. And Jesus talks about a kingdom where all people can belong. But any, any words of kingdom is a, red, is a red flag for the empire. So talks of rebellion, language of rebellion. Jesus also made direct threats on the temple, the Jewish temple in the center of Jerusalem. Now, the Jews sort of were just frustrated with those threats, but you have to understand at this time in history, the temple was also a bank. This is where Rome kept money, or it kept tabs on the money that was there. And so it was, in a sense, a treasury. So when Jesus talks about, quote, tearing down the temple and rebuilding it in three days, more red flags go up. But the biggest thing is Jesus' language about how God will judge the nations and those who are in power and how he will judge them according to what they have done and what they have not done. And today's text is an example of this third one. This is the kind of stuff that gets Jesus in a lot of trouble. On the surface, it's a very simple text. It's not a parable. People think it's a parable. It's an apocalyptic saying. It has certain attributes. These are very familiar These would have been very familiar to Jewish listeners. Oh, Jesus is speaking apocalyptically. And so there's all this imagery about a coming king and judgment and separation and eternal either joy or damnation. These are apocalyptic images that Jesus was using. And what we have in this story is the scene where we are at the end of this age. He takes his listeners to a place where God has come to set things back into their right place. The son of man in the story is setting a societal score with the nations. It has to do with those on the margins and how those with means and who hold powerful positions have dealt uh, with those who are sick, those who have been pushed aside, all of the needy among them. Jesus was announcing God's judgment of the nations and how it would be based on their dealings with the marginalized and the vulnerable. And Jesus says to them that arrogance and oppression will not be rewarded, which is the opposite of how people felt. So this was an offense. This was not something that people want to hear. So this picture Jesus presents is an image, a strong one at that, of how much the word service or serving those in need matters. And what I find interesting is that this is a story about, we often, maybe you grew up in Sunday school and this was a story used to terrify you to your very soul uh, because you don't want to be a goat, you want to be a sheep. Um, and those, and maybe your teacher was terrible. Goats over here, you're a goat, you're a sheep, um, and you're still recovering from that. But um, what I find interesting is that even though this is just uh, Jesus is imagining for us with all this language of what matters most to God, what's very interesting is that it's not about belief, but it is about behavior. It's not unbelief 
that matters in this story, but an unwillingness to be a conduit of God's mercy in the world that is at the center of this teaching of Jesus. Let that sink in. Because if you're like me, your faith, your belief, your strength of belief comes and goes. Amen? It's not always constant. If you say it is, you are lying. It comes and goes. We Discipleship is forward, it's backwards, it's off the rails, it's in the ditch, it's back on the road again. That's how it works. We'll spend the rest of our days falling and getting up when it comes to our belief and our faith. And so Jesus tells this story about the end of the age that has nothing to do with belief, but it has to do with an unwillingness to be a conduit of God's mercy in the world. And when there's an unwillingness to be a conduit of God's mercy in the world, God appears in the story to be quite frustrated. The last few Sundays, we have been looking at the three most important values that we hold at this church. They're not unique to us. They are essentially foundational to what it means to be a follower of Christ. We've talked about community with people. We've talked about growing in our faith. And then today, I want us to reflect for just a few minutes on this idea, this invitation to serve those in need and how important that is in our world, especially today. You know, as the pastor of this church, I'm always a bit on edge as to how God feels about how I'm doing at this task of caring for you, of leading this congregation. Um, it's, it's a frightening performance review. I just want to let you know that. Um, when, when you die and go to heaven, God's not going to ask you anything about this. But I always fear that he'll pull me aside and go, okay, a few things about your ministry. I know, I know, I shouldn't cuss as much in the pulpit. I, I recognize that. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I, that concerns me. And so I'm always a bit on edge and thinking through uh, how is it that God is viewing my work here? And, um, you know, I've been here 14 years. It'll be 15 years next April. And so I've seen a lot of things happen um, over the years uh, in our little community here. And I've come to learn a few things about um, what it means to be the church, at least for us. Um, I've come to learn that it does not mean that we are perfect in any way. I've learned that it does not mean that we have got all things together in our lives. In fact, I have learned quite the opposite, that the healthiest churches are usually the messiest churches. I've also come to learn that it's not about the skills that we possess as a congregation, um, be it music or children's stuff or even preaching. Someone texted me last week and was like, because our boy Jeremy Lawler was up here, and he, he really did a good job, and I'm quite intimidated today. Um, but people are like, wow, he did such a good job. And I'm like, we have a very deep bench for preaching, and only one of those people on the bench works here. And that's always amazing to me. But I've come to learn that it's not even about that. It's also not about the flawlessness of how we do communion or how we pray or how we do the liturgy together. What seems to matter most is how well we respond to God's presence in the lives of those in need. What seems to concern God about my role here and about us as a congregation 
is that at the end of the day, that this church would be known uh, for its willingness to see and to respond to those around us. And I think those two words are key. I think when we uh, see needs in the lives of people near us uh, and we respond, then we are acting out a Christ-like behavior. It's just so much easier to present as someone who cares. It's so easy. Whether it's on our social media or just in our conversations, it's just easier to post something that you care about, but to never really lift a finger. And it makes us feel good. We have all done that in our language and the way that we present to people around us. But there's a twist in this story that I don't want you to miss, and it comes from verse, verses 37 uh, through 40. Um, Jesus says, again, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty and gave you something to drink? Or when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? When was it? You know that you get it. When did we see these things? Because we're unclear as to what you're talking about. And Jesus simply says, what you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. And what Jesus does is he flips the approach on service. He basically says, and this is what we've been taught, we've been taught the opposite. Jesus basically says, when you meet the needs of those around you, you are not doing that on behalf of God. You are doing that to God. I was always taught, let's go out and represent Jesus. That's a tall order, isn't it? Do you think? Just be Jesus to those around you. I'm going to protest that and say no. This is why so many people don't even want to be called Christian. Because Christians really felt like it was their job to go and, quote, be Jesus to the world. And we are the worst Jesuses there are. Why would you do that? I'd pick somebody else in the Bible. Like, I can be a David well, not David. He committed adultery and then killed the husband. But uh, never gone that far. But you know what I'm saying? Like, just pick someone else. But Jesus, even John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, is like, don't look at me. Because they wanted to come to him as the prophet, as the person who was leading the way. And all John did was just point. It's over there. It's not me. I'm, I'm a terrible person. And by all accounts, John was pretty ragged, uninformed, brash, not a good representation. And so this idea that we are supposed to go and like be Jesus, it's a tall order, it's hard. But Jesus talks about, actually, when you serve, you're serving me. You're not being me. You're approaching me. I live in the lives of those you serve. It's a whole new way of thinking about it. Several years ago, uh, Lindsay, who's on staff here, preached on this very text. And I, she was mentioning it uh, as we were talking about this in staff meeting on Monday, last Monday, as I was gathering thoughts together for this. And she said, well, if you 
want to look at what I said, the manuscript is in my Dropbox folder. And I said, wait, you have a manuscript? <laughs> and then she smiled, and because uh, she's better than me when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> she's way better than me when it comes to that stuff. And so I read her entire sermon, and um, all of it was so good. But she talks about this very issue of how being Jesus to others is too difficult. And this is what she said. I'm just quoting directly from her sermon. She said, don't get me wrong. I think our reaction to help when we see the injustices, is that is God inspiring us. It's important work and it's good. But when we talk about serving, she says, I want to challenge us instead to look at how we can see God in those we reach out to help. Because they are his children, and they are made in his image. In devotions this week, in our staff meeting, we used this very text, and Joel gave the devotion, and he said these words as a summary. He said, basically, whoever you're dealing with, you're dealing with Jesus. Whoever you're dealing with, the people you love, the people you hate, the people you feel are worth it, the people you feel are unworthy of anything you have to give. You're dealing with Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 12, very famous text, um, about what it means to live a life of service. And, uh, and this is truly what he means. is It's a living, breathing posture. And he says, I appeal to for brothers and sisters by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, see how it's physical, as a living sacrifice. Now that would have been a phrase that would have turned heads because a sacrifice is something that bleeds out. It dies. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. So Paul even takes it further and says, it's the way that we live, that we pour out our lives as if it was a sacrifice. And that's important for us to remember. We have so many people in this church that just do so many inspiring things when it comes to serving. I, I can't tell all their stories, but I talked to Deidre Sellers this week on the phone and said, I want to hear more about your story. I know that for many years you have served once a week both at the Fulton County Jail and the Gateway Center. And Deidre's here. Raise your hand, Deidre, so you, you can talk to her afterwards. Um, but Deidre goes to the jail uh, every week. She goes to the Gateway Center where the homeless men of Atlanta gather uh, once a week. And um, she does art therapy with them uh, because she's an artist. And she uh, helps them with art projects, but she uses the art to help them talk about their lives. It's a word or a phrase each week that she uses. This is the theme of our art this week, and the therapy is there to help them talk things out uh, in relation to their lives that they may not normally talk about. And so the art, uh, it's art and talking. <laughs> art and talking a listening ear, and it's such an inspiring um, story. The, when I first met Deidre, she came to the office and hung out for a while, and 
started to tell me these stories, and I'm just like, gosh, I, I, uh, I'm humbled to hear these things from you. And, um, and I, ju- I just wanted to share that because there's people in our midst that are doing these sorts of things. Deidre isn't Jesus, um, but she's serving Jesus himself in the lives of these men. I like what C.S. Lewis said, you have never met a mere mortal. That everyone that we come in contact with has the mark of God on their lives. And so a question or two for us as we close, how are we handling our places of power and influence? This is an easy, applicable thing for us. We just have to simply look around and think about those in our lives who might be under our influence, authority in some way, whether you run a business or a leader of a team or whatever the case may be, how are you handling that to those in your life that rely on you? Uh, what is it? Who are the vulnerable and the lonely and the marginalized in your line of sight? We all have people in our lives that are there to keep us, I think, from suffocating on self-care, who remind us what it means to be a living sacrifice. That's not easy. I was laughing at a New Yorker cartoon uh, earlier. Uh, It was just of someone having someone else take a picture of them looking out into space, and the caption says, make sure you can see how insignificant I am. We get so caught up in like, us being the savior of the situation, but, but I think we, we owe it to ourselves to really reflect on what it means to live a life of sacrificial service. It's not service, just so you know. It's, you're not serving needs if it's not hurting you a little. As a pastor, I can tell you there are more scars and scar tissue and bruises and wounds in my heart than I let on because we have given ourselves to hearing to uh, doing their funerals to sitting between two people getting divorced to deaths all sorts of things and it leaves a mark and so I don't believe for one minute that service is anything less than personal injury. It has to be. There's a sense of sacrifice that goes with it. This is what Paul says, offer your body. Not your thoughts, not your posts, not your ideas. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices to those in need. Amen.